Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. This uh, wonderful Christian family day where we take Mother's Day and Father's Day and combine it together to celebrate uh, the family, which I think is appropriate given the texts today about the testimony of God and about the election of the new apostle to take the place of Judas Iscariot and uh, Jesus's priestly prayer there in, in the Gospel of John. So from today's text from the epistle, 1 John 5, 9 to 13, he is talking about receiving the testimony of men and how the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of, of, of men because God has testified himself. And so the testimony of God is concerning his son, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus' life, Jesus' mission, that is the testimony of God the Father to his saving actions in the world for the sake of the world. And it's interesting, this word for testimony of men, the testimony of God, this is the same word in scripture. Uh, this is the same word that gets translated much later on for people who have died for their faith, uh, uh, which the word, uh, where we get the word martyr from uh, in Greek, which also means to witness or to give evidence. And Jesus even gives evidence ultimately through the giving up of his own life. And so this testimony is Jesus' identity, his being foretold in the Hebrew scriptures, his miraculous signs and everything that goes with it. Those who believe in the son Jesus have that testimony, it says, in them. And then it says, whoever does not believe God are liars. That's very harsh language right here. It says, those who do not believe the testimony of God concerning Christ Jesus are liars. And you might think, well, why does he say liars here? Why doesn't he say something a little bit friendlier? Like, oh, they don't receive the testimony of God. They are just maybe unbelievers, or they're just not at the right place yet to hear the good news. Maybe if God gave them a little bit more time and massaged their heart a little bit more, then they would be like, okay, I believe the testimony now. No, he says who doesn't, those who do not believe in the testimony of God are, are liars. And this is brothers and sisters because they disbelieve in the testimony of God himself concerning his son Jesus. And let me ask you a very easy question. This isn't a rhetorical question. This is a very easy question. Uh, the testimony of human beings, it's pretty, pretty high, right? Yeah, you know, if you go to court, you know, you can't just be convicted. You have to have witnesses giving evidence, correct? They have to build a case against you. They have to get all of the facts of the case, and then they build their case. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it very wrong, but that's how it works. And then you present the evidence from all of the witnesses who were there, who were on the scene, or the physical evidence, and then use that to build your case, right? The evidence of humans, it's pretty high. But he, we're talking about here the evidence given by God, the testimony of God himself, which has much more weight than the testimony of a human being. Because quite simply, it, it's, it's kind of a, a question, I think, of, of being, right? If God is the one through whom we derive our life from, 
then obviously, I think obviously his testimony is going to hold more weight than human testimony. And so the testimony that God gives concerning Jesus is incontrovertible. It is impossible to ignore. So the testimony we witness to is that God has given us eternal life, and this eternal life is through his son, Jesus Christ. Then it says something also a little bit jarring. It says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is about as clear and as unambiguous as it gets. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. He doesn't say if you have the Son, you you have life. If you don't have the Son, you kind of have a little bit of life in you, but you really need to get some more of that extra life so then you can have the fullness of life. No, he says those who have the Son have life. Those who do not have the Son do not have life. So those who receive Christ, who receive the testimony that God himself has given of who Jesus is and his works, receive the gift of eternal life. Those who do not receive Christ do not have life. If they do not have life, then what still reigns in them? If we are in the Son and we have life, then that means we have been given the gift of the Spirit. We'll talk about that at Pentecost. And we have been regenerated by God. We have been taken, the Scriptures say, particularly in Ephesians, from death to life. But those who do not receive Christ do not have life in them because that means then that death and sin still reign in them and still reign through them. That's why John can say those who do not have the Son do not have life because they have not yet been freed, right? Scripture uses a lot of language of ransom, of, of, of the, the, a liberation from being slaves. And that should make you think, of the Exodus, right? How the children of Israel were slave to the Egyptians and now through the works and acts of God, they were delivered out of Egypt. And that's kind of the idea in the New Testament when we see these concepts about slavery and freedom is that human beings, we have been enslaved to sin, that we under under bondage to sin and to death, but Christ has liberated and freed us from that captivity. But if you reject the Son, if you reject the testimony of God himself, then you do not have life because death and sin still reign in you and through you. And I feel like this is especially pertinent to those in John's time, as there are still witnesses around who say Jesus, who saw Jesus in his works and still did not believe. And that's true to this very day. There were people who saw the miraculous acts of Jesus right around him, who saw him raise somebody from the dead or drive out the demons from a person or healed somebody with a withered hand, their hands were made whole, or, or recreated somebody's eyes and gave them new eyes to see. Seeing the acts of God and then ascribing many of them and said, well, you do this by the power of the Lord of the demons. That's kind of like a, a more than a slap in the face. You do these miraculous signs through the power of the evil one. There are people who saw the miraculous works of Christ and still rejected him. And those who continue to reject him, even today, do not have life. Then what we see in the text of the Gospel of John 
He talks about how this is basically, at this point in the scripture, I think it's three chapters where Jesus prays a very long prayer. It's called his high priestly, his high priestly prayer. And so you can actually go back and read, and it's just one long prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus says what, what Sharon read today about how he has given them his word and how the world has hated them and they are not of the world because he is not of the world. And then he says, I don't ask, Lord, that you take them from the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just like me. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, so I send them. And this reading from the gospel, according to St. John, these are similar to what we heard in, in the epistle of 1 John. He says, I have given them your word. Jesus hasn't just been having them follow him around for fun. He doesn't say, hey, follow me, and then ignore them for the three years that they're wandering around watching him. Do. No, he calls them for a reason. He calls them for a purpose. He has been teaching them every day for three years following him around, hearing his teaching, him explaining his teaching. And it's funny, even after he explains it, many times they still don't understand. They're like, I don't know. He's been teaching them every day for three years. I remember hearing, and I still hear this from time to time, people who want to be in the ministry as a vocation or say things like, I want to be a pastor or, or something like that. that. Those are very good desires and a very good wish. And so I, sometimes I'd respond with, okay, that's great. What kind of theological education do you have? Or what theological background do you have? What, what sort of training in scripture do you have? And then I'd hear back, well, Peter, John, and the apostles didn't have a seminary degree, so I don't need one either. And that's kind of true. You don't need a seminary degree. And Peter, James, and John didn't have that formal education. But what did they have? They had that practical hands-on education with Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, hearing him teach, hearing him explain his teaching for three years. Folks, that's essentially a master's degree in Jesus studies right there. And then you add to the teaching of Jesus, he says, when I leave, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to explain everything to you. He's going to take what is mine and make it yours. And we see here, we've, we've touched on this several times, when the Spirit is given, it says, then they understood the Scriptures. Right? So through the gift of the Spirit, they're then able to understand the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, how they testify, how they, how they all work together to testify of who Jesus is and what he came to do, which then essentially adds a PhD to the resume. But what I'm trying to say is Jesus has passed on to them what will form the content of the preaching post-ascension. And we talked about this a little bit on, on, on Thursday. I have given them your word, what God has asked, what, what Jesus has come to give them the teaching, who he is, what he has done, and that life that they have through him, that's then what they take to send out, that they take out into the world. And then he says, they are not of this world. So if we ask yourself, if we're not of this world, then why, well, why, how, how, what does that mean? Well, because as believers in Jesus, we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that means that the world will hate us. So then that begs the question, brothers and sisters, Why? Well, because who we are, the way we are called to live, how we worship, who we worship, stands in direct contrast with what the world tells us, how the world thinks we should live, what the world tells us we should value, what the world wants us to worship in place of God. 
And then Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them from the world, but you keep them from the evil one. This is very important. This is very important. He says, I do not take them from the world. Growing up, I grew up in a form of Christianity that really, really, really was into Bible prophecy, but like really into Bible prophecy. And so I remember, even as a little kid in Sunday school, anybody remember, I'm showing my age here, flannel graphs, does anybody remember flannel graphs? That was before they even had the projectors, but it was like a board with like sticky stuff on the back, like a flannel, and then you could just put like the little figures on the flannel graph. So, I mean, we would have a flannel graph or like these really complicated timelines of like tribulations and trumpets and Daniel and, and statues and antichrist and all of this. Is anybody, can anybody identify with that? Maybe exposed to that growing up? I got exposed. Some of you were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank God. Thank God. I say, thank you, God. I was not exposed to this at all ever. But this complicated system of prophecy and Jesus is coming again tomorrow and, 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 and all of this kind of stuff. And we see that reflected in like the Left Behind kind of book. So if you've read Left Behind, then you kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. But the reason why I mention that, brothers and sisters, is to say there is this idea present in there that it's been God's plan all along that one day the world is going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And then one day, just as things are about to get super bad, all of the Christians are going to be zapped away from the earth. Right? Rapture. We're all going to, like, they're going to be raptured, right? Away out of the earth, while the world then goes to hell in a handbasket, and then after the end of, I don't know, tribulation periods or whatever, then Jesus comes back with everybody else, and then that's it. But brothers and sisters, I think that that sort of view of, of the end times, it's not, it's not as helpful as I think it could be. Because Jesus, if, if it was Jesus, or if it was God's intent to, to take us out of the world once we've been saved, then why wouldn't he just, once we've been saved, just take us out of the world, right? And so what that theology has done, it's kind of created a disconnect between what it means to be living as a Christian in the world. Because if our destiny is to escape the world, then what does it matter about how we live in the world? How does it matter? Why does it matter what we do in the world, our actions in the world? And that plays itself out in a variety of ways. There's this it, particularly in American Christianity, there's this tendency also from the church to remove itself from society in order to remain pure. So we have this escapism, this, this theology, Jesus is going to take us away at the last minute, or this, also this tendency for the church to remove themselves and say, I cannot do, have anything to do with the world. And this is how we get the rise of CCM music and Christian movies and Christian radio and Christian subculture. There's nothing wrong with Christian music. There's nothing wrong with Christian radio. It can be very edifying. But if we're not careful, what happens is we build that up as its own subculture with its own language, with its own memes, if you will, with its own way of doing things. And we lose, we've lost in some places the ability to interact with the outside world. Because contact with the, world, with the world was thought to taint those who dare leave uh, the, the, the safe grounds of the church. But brothers and sisters, if the life of Jesus Christ, testified to by God in the Father, which has granted us eternal life, if that is in us, then what should we be afraid of, of what could happen when we step outside our Christian subcultures? And Jesus even says, Father, just as you send me, I send them. 
We are sent. We see this repeated over and over again, and this will culminate at Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I talk about this all the time, because it's been in a lot of the readings we've been having lately, but also because that's our mission, right? The mission of the apostles, that's our mission. It's the mission of the readers of John's letter. It's our mission. The work has not and does not stop. And it is our job, if we claim Christ, to be about our Father's business, bearing testimony. And this testimony that we have received, that we believe in the Son of God, and that what we witness to in the world is his reign, is his kingdom. It has come, and it's different, and it's better. How are we giving testimony then? And who is God calling us to give testimony to? That's true of us corporately as a church. Who is God calling us to give testimony to? And it's also true of us as individuals. Who is God calling you to give testimony to? I think of since it's Christian Family Day here at Zion Stone, and a Christian Family Day we celebrate both mothers and fathers. When preparing the sermon, I was kind of struck with something about bearing testimony. And I thought of, I thought of Mary, mother of Jesus. In Scripture, the angel appears and says, hey, God wants to do something pretty amazing through you. The Holy Spirit is going to shatter you and you're going to become pregnant and your child will be the son of the Most High. Think of that. Mary is giving testimony not just through her saying yes to God and her humble acceptance of what God has asked her to do, but she even bears physical testimony to what God has asked her to do, right? She bears Christ himself. And we know that this comes back to haunt her a little bit because the Pharisees in the Gospel of John say to Jesus when they're having an argument, oh, by the way, Jesus, we know who our dad is. And all their friends are going by and I'm like, oh, sick burn, sick burn, oh, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, you're of your father, the devil. And then all the disciples behind Jesus are like, oh, snappy, snappy God. No, you know, whatever. Right? So this Mary's active bearing witness to Jesus, right, that, that has physical, a physical aspect for her and, and a social aspect to it as well. And then also think of St. Joseph the betrothed. He gives testimony through his obedience to the heavenly messenger in spite of the social shame that may have come from still marrying Mary. We often don't want to give testimony to Christ because it makes us uncomfortable. If I talk to somebody that I, I know God is leading me to talk to, I don't want to sound like one of those crazy Christians on, with the bullhorn on the, on the corner. And they're not all crazy, but I'm just using that as a silly example. I can't possibly broach this topic about God, what God has done for me with this person, because they're just going to laugh at me and reject me. Or I can't tell people how God got me through a really stormy area of life because they'll think that I'm just using him as a crutch. This plays itself out in various different ways, but brothers and sisters, we cannot and should not live that way. We don't want to give testimony to Christ because sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. But as we see in Scripture, and even as we see with the Holy Family themselves, is that in spite of the social stigma, in spite of the shame, in spite of what, everything that came with it, they said yes to God, and they still bore testimony to God and to what God was doing in the world through the sending of Jesus Christ. So let us today, brothers and sisters, 
continue that call, continue that mission to bear testimony to what God has done in the world through Jesus Christ. Let us, like the apostles, believe it and receive it and then share it as we are sent out into the world. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did not take us from the world, but sends us out into the world to give testimony, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us. Thank you.